Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I don't know if you know the word kolohe, but that basically means rascal. And I guess that should have been my name when I was growing up because my mom kept telling me I was a rascal when I was growing up. And until she went to heaven, she kept telling me I'm still a little bit of a rascal. And uh, you can ask Carol if I finally outgrown my rascaliness, but uh, I think I have a little bit. But I'll never forget when I was seven years old, we lived in a very old house. This house was unique because obviously it had the first floor, the second floor, and the third floor was an attic, and I was such a rascal. This is not a joke. They, that was where my bedroom was. My mom and dad, they put me as a little child up in the attic, and that was my room up there. That was my man cave. That was my boy cave up there. Well, I have a sister who's 18 months younger than I am, and I guess I had some leadership traits even back then because in our house, on the second floor, for whatever reason, this house had what was known as a laundry chute. And the laundry chute would be just a little box that you could take the dirty clothes, drop it down this little chute, and then it would pass the first floor and go into the basement where the washer and dryer was. Well, I was able to convince my sister, either she's very very ignorant or I had such an influence on her, I convinced her how much fun it would be if we opened the door to the laundry chute and looked down and see the pile of clothes down there and how neat it would be to slide down the laundry chute into that pile of clothes. And she picked up on that right away and said, that is great. And I said, good, you go first. I'll let you go first, you know. And so she went first and of course it was a disaster. She was crying on the way down and she banged her head up and down the side of this uh, laundry chute and she did make it into the basket and no, she wasn't killed or maimed, but I will tell you, she let out such a scream that brought my mother running in and when she found out what I did and what had happened, she put me in an old-fashioned time out. I don't know if you've ever been in one, but uh, this was a time out. It wasn't like, Stanley, go sit over there. It was much worse than that. But I can still remember that story today because of the lesson that I learned of that time out. While I was in time out, I do remember this, that uh, my mom just made all she could over my sister feeling so badly that I duped her into doing such a dangerous thing like that. And I felt very much alone. I felt very much wondering, uh, what's going to happen to me? Does mom love me? Does she still love me? Does she really care? So I had all sorts of these types of questions going on in my life because I was in a time out. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome, and many of them were Jewish Christians that came to faith in Christ. And I'm sure that many of them were wondering about their own nation. They were taught about the Jewish people and the promises that God made to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, and the promise that he made to David, which is the Davidic covenant. All these promises that God would call out a very special people, and from this people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. They would have their own land. There would be millions of these people, and they would have a great influence. But part of those covenants also came with they needed to follow the Lord Jehovah and obey him. If you wanted to see what it says in Deuteronomy 28, you'll find that in that passage alone, it's going to talk about if you do these wonderful things, you will be blessed if you do not that the Lord will bring all the enemies against the Jews. And that has happened all the way back from almost the beginning of the Jews. And now they're living at a particular time 
where that the Jewish people probably felt like God even came to a point of abandoning them and rejecting them. And so while Paul is building his case in chapter 1 through chapter 8 about faith alone and Christ alone and security and sanctification, he now steps back under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to now teach on God who is sovereign. And what he chose to do is to pick out a unique area of God's sovereignty, which would be his never-ending faithfulness, whether we feel it or experience at that moment that God has for those, even when they're disobedient. So 9, 10, and 11 of Romans speak on the sovereignty of God, but even more specifically on his faithfulness. And I think that there is no greater way that we can see the faithfulness of God than how he is and how he has and how he will treat the Jews. Now, I imagine even now, as you open up the newspaper, you can see what's happening with the Jewish nation and why they are crying as perhaps a little voice in the wilderness out there in the Middle East, perhaps the closest to any democratic society amidst all that other kind of belief systems and political arena, and how they would scream so loudly when Iran would uh, strike up a deal with America, and in a sense, perhaps in the long run, and I'm not going to get too political, Really what's happened is that deal has eventually nuclearized the entire Middle East. And of course, based on the testimony of the nations that are there, some louder than others, but all saying basically the same thing. They live for the extermination of the nation of Israel as well as the United States. So that's why even back then and even now, the Jewish people could feel like they had been abandoned by God to the point that they don't even believe in God. And now you have a lot of agnostic Jews and not real true Jews. Now, they can go to synagogue, they can wear all the right garments, they could celebrate special high holy days, but they have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, which is really the beginning point of being a biblical true Jew. Now, they are a Jew in nature and ethnicity, but not a believing Jew for eternality with God. Now, I'm laying that as the groundwork because I want to give you, if you look at your notes for a moment, those three chapters is a little bit of a review, and then we're going to drill into chapter 11. And even chapter 11 has many verses, and there's so many truths, almost every other phrase has a, 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 it's like a tentacle to go deeper into God's Word. I'm just going to give you the Himalaya mountain peaks of this and encourage you to read all of Romans 11 with a good study Bible and perhaps a commentary. But I want you to get what I'm going to call now today the bird's eye view of the faithfulness of God as it relates to Israel. So I've titled the message, God the ultimate promise keeper to Israel. Chapter 9, it talks about Israel's past. So if you want to go back and review that, you can. You're going to see that basically God has selected that there would be a new nation of Jews and it would start with one man and one woman who were really Gentiles who basically from then, Abraham and Sarah, we see the Jewish nation. Now we see the word sovereignty there and that is because that nation was begun not because there were anything special, not because Abraham was so special. It was God was setting up his economy for all eternity and showing himself strong on the behalf of the Jewish people so that they would be his people and had to have a beginning. And it began in chapter 9, Israel's past, his sovereignty. Well, then he gets into chapter 10 and it talks about Israel's present. Now, when you see Israel's present there, you might need to understand that's present during the time of Paul, but it also dispensationally will bring us to the present of Israel even to today. So there would be the present then, even though it's past 2,000 years for Paul's day when he wrote Romans, but it's also for today. And there's that experience of perhaps rejection. 
I put that in there because I wanted you to feel the pathos of feeling like God is really not there. But in reality, you're going to see that it's not. It's a major time out. It's a major setting aside. And that's the term I'm going to be using through the rest of the outline. But I wanted you to feel the pathos again of being really rejected. I hope you've never gone through that. I hope you've never had people that have been in your life that really said how much they loved you and then abandoned you. I hope you've never had that go through a marriage or a breakup because you'll know what that feels like. Well, I want you to know that you're going to learn today, especially, and then again next week, that even though the Lord had set them aside, He never rejected them. He never abandoned them. He couldn't do that because of His very nature of who He is and the promises that He made to Israel. So again, it's the fairness of God. He had to do something when the children of Israel chose to disobey Him. And He said that. He said, if you do this, I will honor. If you don't do this, you're going to have all these judgments on you. And they chose to go another way, and thus calamity occurred to them. So again, He didn't abandon His word and what He told them. So there was fairness there. He kept His word. And now we're into chapter 11 where we'll be in the, for the next few minutes here. And this is really talking about Israel's future. We'll see a little bit of the future now as we see the Jews have been given their land. But there's so much more that's going to the future. And I like the word restoration. So you may want to circle that. I remember when I was in that time out that mom had placed me into when my sister uh, did the wrong thing by obeying me and jumping down that chute. I remember when mom finally said, okay, Stan, you've been there long enough. Have you learned your lesson? And my answer was what? No, I want to do it again. I said, yes, I did. And my mom gave me the biggest hug. And what that did is it reminded me that before I did it and while I was in timeout, mom really loved me. But I didn't experience that intimacy with mom until she released me from that timeout. There was that restoration. And that's why I put the faithfulness of God. He was faithful all through this. But there is that faithfulness that God will restore us. And I think some of you might have already experienced God's faithfulness. Now, we teach our children about God's faithfulness as we so should. But I want it to be more than just a verse here and a verse there. I want us to see God's operation of faithfulness. And there's no greater group to do that with than Israel. And the reason I say that now is because you can follow the history of the Jews, whether you want to read it through Scripture or you want to get into a world history book, and you're going to see what's happened to the Jewish people, especially then when they became a nation, what happened in their life. And no matter what, no matter what, they would, uh, what would happen to the Jewish people, they could never extinguish them. So while I know that all the guns in the arsenal might be pointed at Israel even now, I know that Israel will never cease to exist. And primarily, it's not because of their goodness, but because of God's grace in His faithfulness. So let's begin here. I gave you a little bit of a review. Now let's talk about the setting aside of Israel as the chosen people of God, and that it's going to be limited and it's not complete. I wanted you to see that setting aside was limited. But it's not a complete setting aside where he's abandoned them. And there are four proofs of it, and it's found in Romans chapter 11. So let's begin. First of all, Paul himself is an example of saying no matter what those children of Israel have done from the time they came into existence even until his day, you see that God hasn't abandoned him because of him. He's still around. So let's look in verse 1. It says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And the answer is, may it never be. Now, if you want to go a little bit further, circle the phrase, may it never be, and run it through just the book of Romans alone, and you're going to see where Paul asks this almost rhetorical question, and immediately he answers it always, may it never be. It's the strongest statement in the Greek possible. So when it says, no, he won't reject you, it's not like, no, he won't, but he might, you never know. No, it's, he will never reject them. 
And so you have this confidence that God will never set the Jews aside forever. Then he says, For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin, smallest tribe still of Abraham where it all began. And it talks about not rejecting his people nor himself as an individual, which is interesting that when you come to the Lord, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there may be other religious people that might name the name of the Lord, and it may appear that he has set them aside, but I want you to know that the gospel is still open for them if they would come to faith in Christ alone. So Paul is an example of God not setting aside the entire Jewish people forever. He still became a Christian, and when he did, he became a great voice for God to the world, Gentiles specifically. But not just Paul, but there was also others. That would be the second one. There's a remnant, which means that there's a people group that God still says, even through all of this, when it seems like the Lord has rejected him, there is a remnant that have never bowed their knee to the Lord, that have trusted the Lord Jehovah as their Savior. Notice it says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in this passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Now, if you will look up here, let me tell you the backstory. We won't have time to turn there, but the backstory is simply this. There was a time in Israel's history of the Old Testament that pretty much the entire country was given over to idolatry. In a sense, they abandoned God and all that God would want them to do. It was led by wicked kings, and in this case, Queen Jezebel. And while that was going on, at that particular time, Elijah decided to have a contest. He was going to take the priests of Baal put them up on this particular mountain, and then have a sacrifice to see if Baal now would answer their prayers. Now, of course, he knew that wouldn't be the case, but he put them through that test. And they screamed, and they hollered, and they danced, and they cut themselves, and blood flowed even from them, doing all that they could to bring down fire from heaven from Baal. And it never really happened. And even Elijah mocked him for that. And so then he just with one word after he set up the altar and he built the trenches and he poured water on it, poured water again on it so there's no way this ever sacrifice would light. God with one movement brought an explosion of fire and that sacrifice was gone. Now that being the case, you could see that he had great, great strength. He did not fear 400 priests and yet he did fear Jezebel because when Jezebel heard about that, She was so upset that she went after Elijah's life, so he ran almost the length of the state of Florida to get away, and then he crashed and burned practically, and he cries unto God the next part of this verse, and look at it. He says to the Lord, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they're seeking my life. What was God's response? Very simple. The Lord speaks from heaven and says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, here's my point, that God always has a remnant of those who are going to stand strong. There'll be a remnant, and there's a remnant of Jews that God still will feed and deal with. Now, they will not have all their property yet. They will not have all the power of their own country yet. They will not have all the fulfillment of the prophecy, as it says in the major and minor prophets, but they are still God's people. These are Jewish believers. It's interesting how excited we get here at International that every other year we've been blessed to have Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who himself is Jewish, who's come to faith in Christ and has a massive global ministry to help reach Jewish people for Christ. I'm thrilled that our own church supports a missionary whose main objective is to reach the Jewish rabbis in Atlanta and is having a great inroad to them and how many Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ. Those are all part of the remnant 
of the Lord. So again, it's limited in their time out, but not complete. There are some that are still coming to faith in Christ. They're still in existence today. Which now means, uh, why was there a remnant? Look at the next passage. They were chosen by grace. I like that. In the same way, then, there also has come to be in the present time a remnant. Notice again, remnant, remnant. According to God's gracious choice. Now, underlying verse 6, if you will, this is a very important verse to know and to memorize. It says, But if it be by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Now, let me see if I can explain this to you. This is a great verse to use when you want to use it in salvation experience, leading someone to Christ. Again, the bigger truth is that these Jews came into existence by God's grace. They're set aside by God's grace. God, by His grace, is going to do a great work with the Jews now and especially in the future. It is not based upon works. Now, let's talk about salvation. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all done something wrong. The Bible says by nature and choice we're separated from God and we'll spend eternity in hell. The Bible says we've got to be perfect to go to heaven, but we can't be perfect. We'll never be perfect enough. That's why, again, Scripture says it's not by good works that gets us into heaven. Now, people might come back and say, well, what about religious works? Will God then look upon them with favor and then allow us to get into heaven because we've done some religious good deeds? No. What about social good deeds, taking care of the hunger, the, the starving, the, the cold, the abandoned people? If we do good to our fellow man, won't God smile on us and we'll gain his favor and get into heaven? The answer is no. God operates on the basis of G-R-A-C-E, on the basis of grace. Now, notice this. When you deal with God's grace, you have God's grace. Grace and works are miles apart. You cannot combine the two. And that's what this verse says. If it's of grace, it can't be of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. Those of you that have a King James Version of the Bible, it flips it and adds another phrase. If it's of works, then it can't be by grace. Otherwise, work is no more works. So the point of the matter is, when we deal with the Lord, His grace is to us... We receive that grace not by any works. It's either by grace or by works. Scripture says it's not of works. This verse says it can't be by grace plus works. So then we deduce from that that our relationship with God is based on one thing and one thing alone, and that is the grace of God in Him alone. That's why Scripture says it's according to His mercy, another form of grace that we're saved. It's according to grace, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's all of grace. So you can combine the two. So when we say we're trusting Christ, that's the grace part. But if we say we have to be water baptized also to be saved, that's the work part. If we say it's by grace, trusting Christ, but we also have to keep the Ten Commandments, that is also by works to get into heaven. Now, is that to say we should never be baptized? Yes, we're baptized by immersion after we trusted Christ as an outward sign of something we've done in the past. So we don't front load the gospel with works. Watch this. We don't back load the gospel by having to do good works once we're saved to stay saved. Everything about salvation is by grace and not of works. And that's the economy that God is working on with the Jewish people. So to become, in their case what we might say, uh, a saved Jew, it's based on their grace, not keeping any of their Old Testament law. That's something that they do outwardly, but not as a way to get into heaven. They needed to believe in their Messiah. So what happened then to Israel? Here you got the remnant. God chose with them with grace. What happened to the whole country or the whole nation of Israel? What, what went on? Well, there was a great deal of discipline that went on. 
And they were disciplined, but they weren't completely rejected. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. If you want to read with me, you can. It's going to be found in Jeremiah 31. It's not a long passage. But I wanted you to see from the Old Testament writing, not just the New Testament, what I'm teaching you here is coming from both Testaments, as Paul now speaks to this. It's a very eye-opening passage. And I'll just read a portion of it, not the entire passage. Jeremiah 31, in the beginning of verse 31, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord Jehovah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 34. It says, They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me in the future, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Here it is. Underline it. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. So God says, I will discipline them, but I'll never cast them away forever. Verse 37 says, Thus says the Lord, If the heavens above can be measured, and we're still trying to measure them now with the new satellites and spaceships going up to Mars and Pluto, and the foundations of the earth are searched out below, we have a submersible submarine that can go already 35,000 feet below the surface of the earth, but we still can't search out all the foundation. He says, if we could do all of that, he says, then I will also cast off the offspring of Israel for all that have done. And he says, I'm not going to cast them away forever. Go to Psalm, if you will, for a moment. Psalm 89. What a great passage of comfort. And this is kind of a passage of what parents might do with their own children. So look in Psalm 89. Just listen to this neat passage. He says, If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes, the Lord says, and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Let me just pause for a moment. The Jewish people are underneath a lot of the judgment of the Lord and they're experiencing a lot of that now because they have walked away from what God told them to do. And it's not merely keeping all the Old Testament sacrifices. It all begins with not accepting Jehovah Yasha, their Messiah, as their own Savior. And then from that comes all their activities. Verse 33, and he says, But I will not break off my loving kindness from him. Basically saying, no matter what they've done, I will not stop loving them. Nor will I deal falsely in my faithfulness. What that means, he says, I'm not going to say I'm faithful and then break my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I've sworn by my holiness, I'm not going to lie to David or his descendants. Shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful, meaning that the moon will never be extinguished until a certain time. It's going to be there, and I'm the witness to those people. So when God makes a promise, he keeps the promise. So again, they will be disciplined, but not completely rejected. Let's go to the third and final point, well, third point, I should say. How long will all of this last? How long are they going to be involved in this? Now, I wish I had time to put charts up here to show you when it all began, what the dispensations are, what the tribulation looks like. But in a general way, how long is this going to last? How long will this happen? Well, it's going to be temporary, very similar to the first point, not complete. So write the word temporary there. It is a temporary. Now, how do I get that? Look in verse 11. It says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall... Did they? And there's that phrase again. No, may it never be. Have you ever thought about what's the difference between stumbling and falling? I remember when I was, a, I was teaching in Bible college, and um, my secretary came to the back of a class, and they said, Prof, you need to get to the office right now. There's an emergency. I was dean of men, so I knew that something had to happen with one of our guys. I needed to get there, so I said, students, I need to leave right now. Just wait, I'll be right back as soon as I can. 
Now, that sounds pretty neat. I run down the hall to get to my office, to get to the phone, no cell phones in those days. That sounds pretty easy. But now let me take you back in time, if you don't mind. It was in the days of bell bottoms and all those polyester leisure suits. How many remember those days, all right? And when you had those bell bottoms, these were so fancy schmancy ones, they even had a cuff on them. And so I'm running, and these bell bottoms are flopping everywhere. My foot gets caught in one of the, the, the cuffs, and I go tumbling down, and I'm falling down as I'm just crashing into the wall as I do this, and I look all around. Did anybody see me? Nope. I jump right back up, and I'm going to my office, you know, just about like this to get to where I need to go. Now, why am I telling you that? The difference between stumbling and falling, when you fall, generally it's a more of a permanent situation, but when you stumble, you're going to stumble and get back up again. And so what you're seeing here is a stumbling of Israel, but not a total fall and annihilation by God of Israel. So it's a temporary thing, not a complete thing with them. So why were they set aside? Now we're getting into the meat. This gets really good. So if they did all of this stuff and God still loved them and all he did was discipline them and he had all these promises, why in the world did he ever set them aside? Here it is. So that the Gentiles could be saved. Look at the verse there. It says, but by their transgression, salvation comes to the Gentiles. So in other words, by the wrong choices of the Jews, their transgression, then God gave the attention to the Gentiles so the Gentiles then could hear about the Lord. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.